The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In the last podcast, we began looking at the fourth servant song of Isaiah. It is found in the 52nd and 53rd chapters of Isaiah and is indeed the centerpiece of the entire prophecy of Isaiah. This last of the servant songs of Isaiah is revered by all as the climax of the book, and it points us directly to the suffering servant of all suffering servants, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered a substitutionary death for each and every one of his children and accomplished the task of eternal redemption through his suffering and death on the cross. Join us today as we conclude the servant songs of Isaiah, looking at the suffering servant who died for his people. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. How deep the Father's love
it in our nature, in our natural man, we will not come to him. We're told that there is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh him. They're all gone out of the way. They're all become an unclean thing. They're become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Read, read Romans chapter 3. That's where that comes from. We're told in one place in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Those that have not been born again, those that are in a state of deadness spiritually, is foolishness to them. Well, why is that? Well, he kind of he tells us here. Look, I mean, look at verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as tender plant as a root out of a dry ground. I mean, a root out of a dry ground is, is an impossible story, isn't it? I mean, you got a dry ground and trying to plant something in the desert. Go try to plant something in the desert sands. That root won't do, go anywhere. It's a root out of a dry ground. It'll, it'll be stunted at best and it'll never prosper. You see, the natural man looks at Christ that way, that there's nothing in him. There's no beauty that we should, uh, that we should desire him. There's nothing that, we, we have, that he has within him to our flesh that would attract us to him. It takes being regenerated. It takes being born again in order that we might see him. You see, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. A root out of the dry ground is a foolish thing. It's a fo you don't plant your garden in the middle of the highway. You plant your garden in the good ground. But yet Christ looked like a root out of a dry ground. And he was despised and rejected of men. And he was despised and rejected not because of issues with him. But because of the issues within us. Because of the deadness of our hearts. Because of the carnal nature that we have. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but not his own sorrows and not his own griefs. It was our griefs with which he was acquainted. Which brings us to the next section of this servant song, which shows us that it was a substitutionary work that he performed. Look at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, as you read verses 4, 5, and 6, you're going to find the words we, us, or our nine times, if I counted right. You see, his work on the cross was a substitutionary work. He substituted himself, his righteousness, his righteous life was substituted for us, and our sins were placed upon him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you know that verse, I'm sure, pretty well. They said, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the, made the righteousness of God in him. He was our substitutionary sacrifice. That's what all those sacrifices in the Old Testament were all about. They weren't about actually putting away sins, but they were about pointing us to the one who would come and actually put away sins. See, the, it says here he was wounded. For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The word wounded means to defile or to pierce through. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13 tells us that thou, he said, Thou art of purer eyes and to behold evil and canst not look upon iniquity. Beloved, he hates sin so bad. He, if you want to know how bad God hates sin, all you got to do is look at the cross. 
Because on the cross, that's the place where I would have given my son a reprieve. And I would have said, no, son, you don't have to do this. I'll just wink at sin this time. I'll let it pass. But God hates sin so much that it had to be paid for. Either Christ had to pay for it on the behalf of his people, or his people would have to pay for it, pay on it for eternity in hell. And you see, he became that which he hated. He was defiled. He was pierced through with sin. He became sin. He hath made him to be sin for us. I can't fathom that. I can't explain that. I can't divide that rightly. I try, and I can't get it into my mind the way it should be. This holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, high priest that we have became that which was so defiling and so hateful to him. That's what he was doing in the Garden of of Gethsemane, that's why he was struggling. That, he, wasn't, he wasn't worried about dying. I mean, he wasn't trying to get out of going to the cross. But he knew what he was about to become. He knew that he was about to be touched with the sin, with the sin that he hated in a way that the Godhead had never been touched by sin. He had looked upon it. He had seen it. He had dealt with it. But this time he would become it. And that's something I can't even wrap my, my pitiful little mind around. He became that which defiled, which was defiled in his sight. He was bruised for our iniquities. You know what that word means? That literally means crushed or shattered. Don't, don't think about the cross as some kind of common thing. It was an uncommon occurrence. In fact, it was a unique occurrence in the history of humanity. Never before had God become man and taken on him the sins of his people never before and never since let me just assure you that you, you don't he doesn't have to be crucified afresh you're not going to be saved one day and get lost the next and he'll have to die again that's what paul said that you would have to do if if you could lose your salvation no beloved he did it once for all and the chastisement it says the chastisement of our peace was upon him that chastisement refers us to the justice of God being visited upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't chastised. He wasn't chastised for his sins. He was chastised for our sins. You see, it was the chastisement of our peace. In other words, the chastisement on the behalf of us having peace with God. In Psalm 85 and verse 10, I know it's a Probably a very familiar passage because we've talked about it before. He says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. How can that happen? You can't have justice and mercy at the same time. If you show mercy, you're not doing justice. If you're doing justice, you can't show mercy. But on the cross, mercy and truth, that is the right, uh, the right outcome, the righteousness there, and righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The only way there could be peace between God and his children was for the Lord Jesus Christ to go to Calvary and to pay the sin debt. And that's what he did. He says, with his stripes, we are healed. With his stripes, we are healed. Isn't that glorious? That word there, uh, stripes, mean the bruises. It means all of the, all of the things that he suffered. You know, before he went to Calvary, before he was hung on the cross, they scourged him with that Roman scourge, that Roman whip. They, the plowers plowed upon his back, we're told. 
It was like they, they made long their furrows. It was like they had gone out and they had plowed up a garden. That's the way his back looked. It looked like rows that you would plow up in a garden. By his stripes we are healed. And notice verse 6. I love verse 6. Notice that verse 6 begins with the word all and ends with the word all. And I'll tell you what it means. It means exactly what it says. All were taken care of, you see. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's not a few of us. That's not one or two of us. That's not some portion of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But notice this. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Of us all. Praise God. He didn't miss a single one. He didn't miss a single one. Every single one of us. Every single one of his children were just like the, the reprobate, just like the wicked. There was no difference in us, in our nature. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Ephesians 2 tells us that. But he knew that. You remember we, we learned that last time, that he had the knowledge to know what was necessary to save us. He knew that we couldn't save ourselves. He knew he would have to take on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God for the alls in that verse. It was a substitutionary work. But notice, beginning in verse 7, it was a lonely work. It was a lonely work. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened, openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 that he his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And the purpose of that is that we, being dead to sins, might live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. <laughs> Going back to that substitutionary death. But notice, there was nobody there helping him. There was nobody. You go back sometime. Go back to the 16th chapter of Leviticus. And you read about the scapegoat. The priest there would take two, two goats, and one of them he'd draw lots, and one of them would be sacrificed for the people, and the other one would be called the scapegoat. You know, that's where we get that name today. What's a scapegoat? It's somebody who you use as an excuse. You put, you put the blame on them, see? And that scapegoat, Aaron would put his hands on the head of that goat, and he would pray over them and confess the sins of the nation of Israel. And then that scapegoat would be led out into the wilderness at the hand of a fit man into a land not inhabited, we're told, over there in about the, 30, about the 22nd chapter, now 22nd verse of, of Leviticus 16. Notice that he, he was taken, that scapegoat was taken out into a land not inhabited. You know, why didn't he take him down to the land of the Amalekites or the land of the Ammonites or, the, or some other tribe down there? Because one of them might have found that goat and brought him back. <laughs> Or he might have found the goat and come back later and said, oh, by the way, I helped get rid of your sins. 
But that's not the purpose of the scapegoat. The scapegoat was not to be aided. He didn't need any help in putting away the sins of his people. Our scapegoat is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, was, he walked the lonely road to Calvary. There were two hanging on the cross beside him. But he was the only one that was bearing the sins of his people. Peter should have gone to the cross with him. Peter said he would. He said, oh, I'll never forsake you, Lord. Even if those others, they may leave you. You ever been there? I mean, I feel like right now, if they came to get me, I could, I'd go with them. I'd say, take me. I want to go. And then I'd get down in the jail and I'd start, <laughs> start having second thoughts. Because you see, right now, I feel like, I believe Peter meant it. I believe Peter thought he meant it at least. But the Lord knew better. The Lord knew the frailty of the flesh. But Peter should have gone with him. But even if Peter had gone with him and there had been a fourth cross up there, it wouldn't have done one thing to put away one sin, even of Peter himself. You see, it was a lonely work. It was a lonely work. It began with Christ and it ended with Christ. And by the way, in that lesson of the scapegoat, that view of Christ over there in the Old Testament, the scapegoat was taken out by the hand of the fit man. And it was turned loose in the wilderness and it was left in the wilderness. And the, the scapegoat, figuratively bearing the sins of God's people, stayed and the fit man came back. You know, you know what we read about over in the book of Hebrews in the ninth chapter? <laughs> I tell you what, I love, I love the way the Bible harmonizes together. We're told in chapter 9, verse 28, it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Our fit man bore the sins to the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. Anything you can talk about there that puts them away, any, any, uh, any metaphor you want to use. He bore our sins out into that wilderness that was uninhabited and our fit man came back. And one day he's coming back without our sins. Isn't that glorious? But it was a lonely work, and he submitted to it. He opened not his mouth. And as I said earlier, his death was unique in the history of the world. This was a death by a truly innocent person bearing the guilt of the fully guilty and satisfying thereby the judgment of God. Well, praise God, this, this rejected, substitutionary and lonely work was a successful work. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What Christ did was pleasing to God. God was the one inflicting the judgment upon him, although they by wicked hands took him. In Acts 2 and verse 22 and uh, through 24, you'll read about uh, what Peter says. He said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He went to the cross by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He had to go because he had agreed to go in the covenant of grace. Someone asked one time, could he have come down from the cross? Well, he had the ability in the sense that he was God and could do anything, but no, he could not come down from the cross. He could not come down because he had promised that he would not. He promised to go and God who cannot lie cannot break a promise. He could not come down from the cross. He was there by his own design and by his own purpose. But it says that ye by wicked hands have taken and crucified and slain. See, what they did was wicked. 
God didn't predestinate them to drive those nails into his hands, but he suffered them to do it. He suffered them to go and act according to their own wicked nature, just like he knew they would. And it was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And notice what he says. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I know I've used this example before, but, but I know the world teaches that there might be some out there that, that Jesus died for that because of their own actions, they don't, they don't make it into heaven. But I read here that he shall, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. You know, I've, I've used this before, as I said. Uh, think about if you had, you know, 10 children and, and they were coming home to, uh, to eat Christmas lunch with you. And, and, and one of them had a wreck and got killed on the way home. And another one got arrested and someone else uh, got delayed. And another one decided they just weren't coming. And, and six showed up. You know, would, would, would mom and daddy sit there and say, well, this is all right. I got most of them. No, you wouldn't be satisfied. The Lord is no more satisfied with that than we would be. He will not be satisfied until every single one of his children is with him in glory. Isn't that glorious? Because he said the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper. His work was a prosperous work. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God through the travail of his soul on the cross. We sing this song called In Christ Alone, and this is the second verse, I believe. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save, rejected, you see, by men, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. The wrath of God was satisfied. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. What's that talking about there? You know, we're told today, the question is asked, do you know him? But the question is, does he know you? The question is, what about his knowledge? There are many that don't know the name of Christ that are yet children of God. But he knows their names. Remember what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. We're told that we are graven in his hands. Back over in, I think it's Isaiah chapter 42, we were told that we are graven in the hands, in his palms. And when he went to the cross and those nails were driven through his hands and through his feet, our names were engraven in the palms of his hands by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And notice here in verse 12, the, the greatest part of the whole servant song, the exaltation of Christ due to the finished work on the cross. Therefore, therefore, because of what my servant has done, God says, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, 
and made intercession for the transgressors. You know what that means for us? That means that the, the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross for the sins of every single one of his children. It means that the work was finished, beloved. We've already quoted it, but remember what he said in John 19 and verse 30, it is finished. And that means what it says. And that's the glory of the, of the message of the gospel. Someone might ask, what do y'all believe down there at Zion Church? Well, if you don't have much time, just tell them this. Say, we believe that when he lifted up his voice on the cross and cried out, it is finished, that he put away the sins of every single one of his children. We believe that Matthew 121 is true. He shall save his people from their sins. And we believe he did it. And that's the glory of the suffering servant in Isaiah. And that's the glory of understanding the grace of God in eternal redemption. He is our suffering servant. He is our victorious Savior. He is the one who saved us from our sins. And we can rest in that. And the message of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, is that it's all been done. If you find yourself burdened, if you find yourself struggling, you find yourself heavy laden. You know what Jesus said? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now, he's not talking about come to him in order to get born again. You're not going to be labored and heavy laden if you aren't already born again. But child of God struggling in the world, let me tell you, if you're laboring under the burden of your sin and you're trying to, trying to set forth your own righteousness and establish your own righteousness before God, lay that burden down at the cross because Christ has put those sins away. Praise God for the eternal redemption that we find in this suffering servant of Isaiah. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.